All right, good morning. We're starting a brand new series today entitled, What If? What if? What if everyone gave? What if everyone served? What if everyone loved? What if everyone united? If we all came together, what if everyone did their part? What would look differently about not only our church here locally, but the church globally? What would it look like if everyone did their part? This morning we're going to look specifically about what if everyone gave? What if everyone gave? You know, Conrad Hilton, who is the founder of the Hilton Hotel Empire, right? Everyone's probably at least stayed or passed a, in a Hilton or one of their brands at some point in time in their life, right? The Hilton brand that you see everywhere. And, you know, a couple of generations later, uh, Conrad's granddaughter, uh, Paris, became uh, a really big figure for what? I'm not exactly sure. Um, in uh, culture... But for a while, she was a big deal, and we don't really know why that happened, but it did. And what's interesting, though, is if you look at the narrative of the Hilton family, they're kind of a disaster, right? They have all this money, they have all this influence, they have this great empire, but if you look at like their family dynamics, they're really um, a disaster. But Conrad Hilton, he set up his last will and testament. And he gives out a humanitarian award every year in his name. That's for someone or a company or something that goes over and beyond um, being charitable. And this is a quote from his will that set up this foundation that gives out this award to recognize humanitarian charity. And he says this, There's a natural law, a divine law, that obliges you and me to relieve the sufferings of the destitute. Charity is a supreme virtue and the great channel through which the mercy of God is passed on to mankind. It is the virtue that unites man and inspires his noblest efforts. Love one another, for that is the whole law. That's an amazing quote from a very unlikely source. You know, that he, he ends this with love one another, for that is the whole law. And we know that's exactly what Jesus said in the Gospels. He talks about that we are this conduit of God's mercy and God's grace, active in the world around us, and that God uses us as a conduit to promote his unity, his mercy, and his grace. What we want to do over the next month is we really want to talk about the next four weeks, what would happen if everyone did their part at the same time together, what would our world look like? What if everyone gave? But not just of their money, but of their time, their passion, their talents, their energy, and their efforts. Imagine the difference that would exist not only in our church, but in the kingdom of God at large. Now, anytime you bring up giving in church, people start getting uneasy. I can see some of you have, have already altered your comfortable position that you were in prior to when I said, what if everyone gave was what we were going to talk about this morning. Everyone took a different posture already. Because we get uncomfortable when we talk about money in church, don't we? Like, oh, what, what's, he, what's he up to here? What's he, don't worry, we're not getting ready to start some big building campaign or some big campaign. To, that's not what we're doing. What we're talking about in this series is stewardship and what if everyone was a steward that God called us to be at the same time 
what would happen. And money's a difficult situation for us. We're all in different stages of life. We all have different things that are going on in our lives. Some of us have moved into retirement, and that's changed our, our, our resources. Some of us have lost jobs, changed jobs. This has happened, that's happened. Some of us have kids. And if you have kids, you know what that means. They're just a giant money pit, aren't they? Especially the older they get. They're just, just constantly doing this. Just a giant money pit, right? And so there's all of these different leverages that are pulling at us constantly in our lives for our resources, for our money, for our time, and for our energy, and for our efforts. It's constant tug of war between us. But what does the Bible say about this, and what are we responsible to do, and what would it look like if we all did it together? This morning, Exodus chapter 35, and I know Exodus seems like a really weird place to start talking about giving. There's a lot of other scriptures in the Bible that talk about giving and talk about the narrative of what it looks like to give. But I believe that this, personally, is the greatest picture of giving in all of scripture. Now, let's set up the the narrative here as you're turning to Exodus chapter 35 in your Bibles, is that God's people have been in captivity in, in Egypt. They're slaves. And God has sent a deliverer, Moses. They've miraculously crossed the Red Sea. And they're now in the wilderness and they're pressing forward to their ultimate goal of reaching the promised land. A land that God had promised to Abraham generations earlier. And is now just beginning to see the people on the journey to actually start the conversation of taking possession of the land. Well, while they're in the wilderness, God's doing amazing things for them and helping them. And God directs Moses that, that he wants a place for the people to worship. A place for God's presence to dwell and to be with the people. And so they come up with this idea of this traveling church called a tabernacle. And it's basically a giant fancy tent that the people carry with them on their journey across the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And so God has given this directive. God has set it all up. And now Moses, when we pick up the story here, is talking to the people about what God wants them to do. And so Moses is telling them that he needs them to bring gold and precious stones. Imagine if we did that. Hey, we need everyone to bring gold next week. It'd be an interesting service. He tells them, bring linen, bring cloth, bring everything that you have that you're willing to give because we need everything to set this place of worship up. So we pick up our story, Exodus chapter 35, verse 20. It says, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy Garments. Now, the thing that I think is interesting about this scripture that we need to look at first is that it says that everyone's heart that was stirred and everyone's spirit who was moved. The first aspect of giving and giving the right way, the way God's called us to be, is all about our heart and our spirit. In other words, the posture of our life. We see uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, and this is a very famous passage of Scripture most of you could probably quote. It says, each one must give as he has decided where? In his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now, the thing that we have to look at in these two scriptures that we see the same thing is that God's word is pointing us to our heart, to the posture of our lives, where we position ourselves, where we set ourselves up is all about the attitude in which we're going to give. See, God's not interested in you giving because you have to. And if we give out of compulsion, meaning that we feel like that we have to do something, we're not giving with the right attitude. Remember the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis, right? One brings the right offering with the right attitude, with the right mindset, and God honors his gift, and the other brother does not. And eventually one kills the other. You can imagine how that went. And who killed who, right? The one whose offering was accepted was the killer, right? Wrong. Because it's all about the motivation of the heart. So if we're, if we're giving out of obligation and just trying to check another box, okay, I gave, I went to church, I did this, I'm in good, I'm in right standing with God, we have to understand that's not the attitude and the posture that God wants. If God wanted us to just follow the law, then he would have never sent Jesus Christ He just asked us to do these things to the best of our abilities and then continue to offer sacrifices to make up for our weaknesses. We have to understand there's nothing that we can do in our power, in our own strength, in our own fortitude that's going to please God the way he wants to be pleased. We don't have it. We lack it. The only thing that sets us apart is the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ because what he did, not because you and I are better than anybody else, it's because God gave his son and sent him as a ransom so that we could be free. So why do we give? We give because we have a heart that's following after the things of God, not because we feel like we have to. And it also says reluctantly. Have you ever given reluctantly? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to do that. We all have. Everyone here has. You all know you have. There's weeks where you're like, I don't know. Right? We talked about a couple weeks ago in the missions convention. You know, you see those little tables, you know, out. And somebody, you know, wants to sell you something. You know, it's funny. I preached that message and like two weeks later, one Sunday later, rather, after church, my wife sends me on an errand to Kroger. And who do I run into? Somebody from church. Selling popcorn for the Boy Scouts. I'm like, man, thanks, God. <laughs> right? Some of us have given reluctantly at some point in times in our life. And God says, that's not the attitude. That's not the heart. That's not the place that I want you to give out of. What I want you to do is I want you to have a heart that's seeking after me, that's walking in what I'm doing and and trying to follow what I want you to do. If we follow God's heart and what God wants from us and we're seeking, the Bible says, his kingdom first, then all these things will be added. If we walk in and position ourselves to serve and to honor and to follow God, then what happens is there's a natural change in our heart and our heart switches Because we all have this inward bent towards ourselves. We're all selfish. We all want the best for us. And we're about promoting ourselves. But what happens is when we begin to get in right relationship with God and we're trying to follow God's heart and we're positioning our our life to follow after what he wants, what's amazing is, is that inward bend begins to turn outward 
once our heart begins to change, we begin to see things the way God sees things, the things that moves God's heart. And when that happens, that's when we become a cheerful giver because we're given with the right motivation and we're given with the right understanding and we're given with the right purpose and we're given with the right heart. Now, what we see is, as we kind of move through this scripture is this. In, in Exodus 35, we pick up in verse 25. It says, And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they brought all they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onk stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breast piece. We see in Exodus 35, we skip ahead to verse 31. And he is filled within the Spirit of God with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting the stones and setting and carving wood for every skilled craft. When, and, and, and what's amazing about this is it's not only talking about the people giving of what they had. You see, there were some people that had the goats that they could use the hair to spin the linen. So the, it started with the people bringing their resources, right? What they had to bring to the temple. And then we see that again, that those whose hearts stirred them, right? Again, it's a heart thing. And what happens is all these women and all these men that had skill and were artisans, they began to not only bring their resources, because someone did have to bring the gold and the stones and the linen and the fine twine, and then they begin to use their abilities to make come to pass what God had initiated with his people, right? So it took everybody not only giving of their resources, but giving of their time and giving of their energy and giving of their efforts and all of those resources being pulled together for a common cause with the right heart and with the right motivation. And it's amazing what happens. Look with me in uh, Exodus 36, chapter 4, verse 6. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing or from giving. Now, nowhere else in Scripture will you ever see this happen again. Ever. Where the people were restrained from bringing. Why? Because this is what happens. We're asking that question this month. What if? What if everyone gave? This is what happens when everyone gives. Is there such an abundance and there's such an overflow that we have to tell people, hey, like, we're good. We, we, there's nothing else that we could do with all of this stuff. Because what happens is when everyone does their part and everyone gives and every, of their time, their energy, their efforts, and their resources, there's an overflow and an abundance. And what that does in us is we become God's conduit to be a blessing to others. Because there's an abundance of resources, there can be done more than was even intended to do in the beginning. So imagine what the context of our society, what the church at large would look like if everyone gave and everyone gave together. When everyone gives and gives passionately, there is always an abundance of more 
than is needed to accomplish the task at hand. So Moses had to actually restrain the people from giving to stop them. We don't need any more workers. We don't need any more uh, fabric. We don't need any more gold. We don't need any more stones. We don't need anything else. This project is done. There's already an abundance. Could you imagine what the church would look like if we had an abundance of volunteers? Can you imagine what our, our children's program would be able to do on Wednesday nights when we do Town Square? Imagine how many more kids that we could reach if we had more people willing to volunteer to teach and to move and to go into that ministry. Imagine what we could do on Sunday mornings in our kids' programs and the breadth of how much more we could expand what we could do if there were more people that were giving of their time, their energy, their efforts, their resources. Imagine what could happen in here on a Sunday morning. Imagine what we could do in our community, in our nation and around the world. Imagine, you know, we've all seen this weekend with this hurricane that came through Haiti and devastated Haiti. And we had Caleb uh, here just a couple weeks ago as part of our missions uh, convention talking about some of the things that have been going on in Haiti. And we know that Haiti has never been the same since that earthquake. And now this hurricane has moved and devastated Haiti and devastated the Florida coastline. And all across the country, there are going to be charitable organizations and churches that are going to start calling on people. Hey, we need to give. We need to do something. We need to do our part. Imagine if everyone had already done their part and everyone was already doing what God had commanded them to do. There would never be the need to call for more because the storehouse would already be full and there would already be plenty of abundance for us to be a conduit of blessing to everyone else. Imagine what we could do if everyone gave. Who gives? You know, Barna says that in the average church across America today, that 20% of the people give 80% of the money, and that same 20% do 80% of the work. Now, that's the average church in America. Now, one thing that we know about averages is there's going to be somebody that's going to be better There's going to be somebody that's going to be lower, right? And these two things balance each other out. So even on the high end, you're looking at a a 35 to 40% church is like the best that there is. So 20% of people in the average church in America give 80% of the money and give 80% of their time and the energy and the resource by serving in the church. So that means 20% of the people are basically doing all the work. Could you imagine what the landscape and what the narrative of our nation would look like today if we doubled that and 40% gave? Do you know what that would mean? That means there would be 160% more available of people, resources, energy, and money available to the kingdom of God if just 40% of the people in church did their part. Imagine what that would look like then if that 40% grew to 60%. It doubles again. Imagine if it went to 80%. And imagine what it would look like if 100% of the people did their part. Imagine the law of exponents when you start applying that math. And again, we're not just talking about money, although that is a part of it. Imagine what we could do in the face of our community, if we had more and every church in America had more, imagine what we could do, the global impact, the local impact, 
Man, means we're, we're working on 20%. 20%. Imagine what it would look like if everyone gave. What is this other 80% doing in the church? What are they doing? Why aren't they giving? Why aren't they serving? Why aren't they doing these things? It's because if you want to know what you value as a person, you want to know what the most important thing to you is, what you value above all else. And I'm not talking about the Sunday school answer. When we sit in church and now if I were to pass the mic around and go, what do you value most? Everyone would have some Sunday school answer about, oh, the church or this or that, and it would all be great. And I was, okay, prove it. Look at where you spend the majority of your resources and your resources as a whole, your time, your energies, your effort, and your money. Look at where they go. And if you follow what you invest your life with, that's your life resources, you will find out what is the most important thing in your life. Because where your treasure is is where your heart is, and where your heart is is where your treasure is. So if you really want to know where you are posturing and positioning your life in your heart, look at your resources, look at your time, energy, effort, and your finances, and see what you're spending the most of those resources on, and you will find out exactly what you are passionate about, what you care about, and what you think is the most important thing, regardless of what you say. That will prove to you the true posture of your life. Well, what what we're seeing, though, in these statistics is that 80% of people in church are living in a welfare state. Now, there's a a lot of people in here that that don't like that, that statement. But it's true. If you're coming to the table all the time and you're gobbling up resources, how many of you like that? Anybody have a friend like that? They always come over, they never bring anything, and they eat all your stuff? It's usually your kid's friends, right? How does that make you feel? Right? It means that 80% of the people are just living off the charity and the goodwill of others rather than themselves getting into the kingdom and getting involved in what God's doing. And some of you look like you're just all mad now. Because I said that. It's all right, but it's true, right? Remember, God didn't call me here to make you feel good every day, okay? There's a church in Houston that does that. Some of you will get it. We're not that church. So if you're looking for a smile and the pat on the back, I'm sorry, this is the wrong place for that. I'm going to tell you like it is. So what happens is that 80% of the average people in the average church in America are just coming in and living off of what other people are doing. And they're not invested in God's kingdom. And so what that means is, is it means this. There's all these wonderful promises and there's all these wonderful things that God provides for his people in his Bible, in his word to us, right? That is God's will, that is God's breath lived out, right? We call it the living word of God. And there's all these promises in there, aren't there? And they're fantastic promises. But here's the thing. You don't get to call on the promises of God if you're not sowing into God's kingdom. It doesn't work like that. 
Checking off the boxes don't count in God's kingdom. Just because you came here today, check that box. It doesn't count in God's kingdom. It's about are you posturing and investing your time, your energy, your resources into what God has called you to do? Now, that doesn't mean that 100% of your time should be spent here. Obviously, that'd be ludicrous. But if 80% of the people in the church are doing nothing, imagine what would happen and what could be done if 100% of the people begin to give and begin to invest in God's kingdom. That means only 20% of the average church in America today that people are invested in what God's doing. We have to put our resources into God's kingdom if we're going to hope to ever pull anything out of it other than just idle words. Because God's called us to invest and to sow into his kingdom, that faith in him. And here's the thing. I challenge you to try this. Go from Genesis to Revelation. Read the whole thing. Find me one time in God's word where God performed the miraculous or did something for his people or in his people without the people first having a responsibility to step into their faith and put their faith into practice by investing in what God was saying. You can't find one time. In all of scripture where God just did something and there was no responsibility for the people to move first in front of him in order for him to get behind them. We see it when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River and they overtook Jericho. What did the people have to do? They had to march around a city for seven days. Can you imagine how ridiculous of a plan that was? Like, I think a lot of times we, we, we don't give these people enough credit. Like, think about it, right? Hey, here's, imagine if I came in here and said this. Hey, I, God spoke to me directly. Here's what we got to do. We have to walk around this entire city for seven days. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. Once it's all said and done, what we're going to do is we're all just going to scream really loud. And some of you are going to get to blow trumpets. That's a great battle plan. Breaking news on CNN. Could you imagine it? The United States military is currently marching around the entire Middle East and screaming. No, it's a crazy battle plan. It, it's, a, it's the worst idea ever. This city is so big and the walls are so thick that they could race chariots across the walls. That's pretty big. And what's God's plan for battle? Walk and yell. Actually, we'd probably a lot of us be really good at that. But that's God's plan. See, it required God's people to do something to put their money where their mouth was, so to speak, to step into faith and say, "Okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm all in. I'm gonna invest. I'm gonna do this crazy walk." And what happens? The walls fall miraculously. Was it because the people yelled? No, it's because the people were obedient. And their heart was postured in a way that they were following after what God wanted from them. We can even go as far as to do this. Jesus, who God sent to die on a cross. Don't forget that Jesus was also a man. And in that garden that night on which he was betrayed, that he prayed, 
And the Bible said he prayed so hard that he busted blood vessels in his forehead because he was under so much stress and under so much pressure. And remember what he said. He said this. He said, not my will. And we say that all the time, but do you really know what that means? It means I don't want to do this. This is the worst idea ever. I don't want to do this. This is more ridiculous than the Jericho thing. But your will be done. And so Jesus put it all in. He conquered his his doubts and he conquered the flesh and he went to that cross and died for you and I, even though it didn't make sense. Because what happens every time God does something, he requires us to do something first. So soon as we're wondering, we're like, oh, I'm claiming this and I'm claiming that. And it's like, you can't claim that if you're not invested. The walls of Jericho don't fall without people walking. Time and time. I mean, and there's a million examples found in God's word that we could talk about this morning that would just further. So I challenge you, go try to find it. So in order for us to claim these promises and claim what God's doing and to want to be a part of what God's doing, we have to first invest our resources, which is our money, our time, our strength, our talents, and our energies to accomplish the work that God wants us to do. You know, there's this interesting statistic, too, that you find in our country. The state of Mississippi has the highest charitable giving rate per capita and in volume in the United States. The state of Mississippi also has the highest percentage of poverty and the lowest median income of any state in the United States of America. And what's amazing is is if you look at that list... And you look at what people have versus what people give, what you see is this amazing trend. Those with the most are on the bottom of the list of what they're giving. And those with the least are at the top. Why is that? Why is it that those with less give more than those with more? Because those with more always want what? What drives a lot of what we do? We want what? More. More and more. Those who don't have much, give much. We see this played out throughout Scripture too. It's why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom. And we see that parable of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And when Jesus tells him to sell what he owns and follow him, he's like, I can't do that. That's where I draw the line. And God's not calling us to give everything. But the... What he is calling us to do is to put our faith and our hope and our resources, all that we have in his kingdom, and just follow his heart and follow his leading. And it's amazing if we will just get in sync with God's economy, what God will do in us, through us, and among us. Imagine what would happen if more. Intention doesn't change the world. Action changes the world. We have a divine obligation from God that if we're going to be a part of his kingdom, then we have to be in his kingdom. So we talked about this 80-20 rule, right? That is in the average church all across America. Where do we lie? Where does First Baptist, where do, what do our statistics look like? 
How many of you want to know? There's a couple of hands. Everyone else is kind of going. <laughs> About 32% of our congregation gives 97% when it comes to finances. And about 40% do 100% of the work. If you really look at it. Could you imagine with all that we believe that God's called us to do to effectively reach this community, the state, our nation, and continue to move around the world? Could you imagine what would happen if our 32% even became 60%. Could you imagine what else we would be able to do? Could you imagine if our volunteer pool just moved 20%? Imagine the ministry and the effective ministry that we could have to affect our community and to affect the world around us if Everyone got involved. And imagine if 100% of you, I mean, it's right now 32%, so 32 out of 100, and there's way more than 100 people here, but if there was 100 people in our church, it means 32 are giving it all. And look at what we were actually able to do. We actually are able to do a lot. The last two weeks, we looked at our influence across the world in, in supporting missionaries and investing in missions and in foreign missions and some of the local ministries that we support and what we're able to do here as a church locally. But imagine what that would look like if everyone did their part. Imagine. And see, that's the reason that God calls everyone, not some of us, to do our part. Because if everyone does their part, then there's an abundance, there's an overflow, and we become a conduit of God's blessing. Another scary statistic about churches in America. Over 70% of the churches in America are finding a way right now to cut their budgets by at least 45%. Because it's not enough resources to fulfill the ministry obligations that you're trying to do. And this is why church after church after church, we see churches closing all over America. Why? Because they don't have the ability to do what God's called them to do to effectively reach people. And they're trying to cut half of their ministry in order to stay alive. Imagine what would happen across this nation. Imagine just here in Pekin if everybody who went to some church did their part. Imagine collectively what that would look like. Imagine the opportunities that we would have. Now, some of you in here, you're already part of the 30% that's doing their part. Way to go. But nudge your neighbor. Be like, where are you? Are you 60 or 30? I'll, I'll wait. And see, everybody got nervous again talking about money. But imagine the ministry influence and imagine what we could do if everyone did their part. It's absolutely astounding. Do the math on that. We're like an $850,000 a year ministry. 
at this church with 30%. We have all the ministries that we have with 30 some odd percent, 40% if you round it up. Imagine what that would look like if that number doubled to 60. Imagine if that went from 60 to 100. That would be four times what we were able to do with what God's given us if everyone gives. Now, how many of you, listen, don't feel beat up this morning, all right? Put a smile on your face. Get the shuffle back in your feet. It's going to be all right, all right? Football's going to save you in a little bit, maybe. Your team will do well today, and that'll make everything feel better. Look, I'm not here to chastise you this morning. I'm not here to beat you over the head. I'm not here to make you feel bad. What I'm here to do is encourage you. Imagine what would happen if you're in here and you're part of the 60%. Imagine part of the change that we could see happen if you'll get in the game. If you'll just get in the game, imagine what would happen, what we would be able to do as a church what we would be able to do as a ministry, not just inside this church. We're not just talking about gathering money and being like, and people and being like, ha, 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 look what we have. No, it's because God's called us to be a conduit of blessing and we can't be a conduit of blessing more than what we have if there's not what? An abundance. Where your heart is, that's where you're going to find your treasure. If you want to know where yours is, we told you how to do that this morning. This city and our community needs us to deeply risk and to act courageously and to get into the game of what God's doing, not just with your money, but with your time, with your energy, with your effort. Some of you are sitting on talents that could be used for God's glory and to be a part of his kingdom, and you're just sitting. Need you to get in the game. What if everyone gave? There's this great story of this guy named William Borden. And William Borden was the heir of the Borden Dairy Enterprise. Have you ever drank Borden milk in your life? Yeah. If you're born in the 70s or before, you drank Borden milk at school. I drank chocolate because white milk is disgusting. We've already had that conversation. And he, he was set up to be the heir. He was, was going to be the next guy. He was going to be so incredibly wealthy once he took over the enterprise from his family. Like, he was like the original Bill Gates, you know, in the 1800s. This guy was set for life. His family had properties and places that would just astound you all over the United States. And he came from a family of unbelievers. And, and William Borden got saved, and God did a miraculous work in his life, and God called him to China, to go be a missionary in China, of all places, in the 1800s, all right? We're not talking about going to college, and going to school, and then going to mission school, and then going around and getting support, like we do today, and then getting on a plane, and flying, and there's this organization that set everything up, all right? We're talking, about the, we're talking about going around the world on a boat that's run off steam. Takes a while to get there. 
And he's walking into the unknown, but he knew that God had called him there. And here's the thing. There was no, zero, zilch, not a one missionary in China at that time. Not one. So he's off college, Harvard, which was a seminary. Begins to study scriptures. He tells his dad, his mom, this plan that he has. And his dad says, if you do this, then you are cut off from this family. You will not receive a dime. You're done. And he says, okay. So he gets on a boat. and makes it to Africa. There's this little camp set up and he's trying to learn from some other missionaries how to do work. And he's trying to get his hands on this and he's learning the Chinese language and he's studying it. And he has this Bible that was given to him. He opens it up and on the front cover he writes two words. No reserves. Because he knew the second that he stepped foot on this mission he was on his own. There was no dad bailing you out. There was no more family money. There was, there was no more, you know, debutantes and the playboy status and all that. Like, it was done. No reserves. He gets over there, begins to study, and he gets very sick. Very sick. And he realizes in that moment there's, there's no turning back. <laughs> He's got to stay, he's got to press forward, he's got to move. So he writes two more words in his Bible. No retreats. And he got sicker. And he got sicker. And he got sicker. And he laid there one night on his deathbed and he asked for his Bible. And he opened up that Bible and he wrote two more words in that front cover no regrets. And he died. Alone in Africa. You're like, well, that's a terrible story. Why did you tell us that? That's horrible. Why? Like, yeah, I'm encouraged now. Thanks. This whole day has been great. Appreciate it, Pastor Rich. You're awesome. You're doing a dynamic job. You're making everyone feel great today. Here's the amazing thing about this story, though. His body and his Bible are returned to the States, to his family. And his dad opened up that Bible that was so important to his son, and he read those three statements. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And his dad began to read through the pages of that Bible and understood finally what his son had understood. And the Borden family started an initiative to start missions work in Africa and sent hundreds of missionaries uh, to China and the rest of Asia because of what William was willing to do to get in the game. And the story sounds terrible. The guy dies. He never even makes it to China. It's like horrible. It's like the worst movie you've ever seen. But see, what's amazing, though, with God and God's kingdom is God's story for us doesn't stop there. 
because of his willingness and because of his faithfulness, not just one missionary showed up in China, but hundreds of missionaries got to China. And his entire family was changed because he was willing to get in the game. You know, that's a great story, but I don't have a dairy farm that I'm going to inherit. That's worth millions of dollars. Neither do I. (laughs) But what we have is what God has given us. The resources, the abilities that he has given to us. Jesus said the widow that came and gave all that she had, one penny that she put, he said she gave more than anyone because she gave all that she had. And God's not asking you to just come in and dump all your resources and sell all your things and just come hang out at the church 24 hours a day. God's not calling you to that. But what God is calling us to do is get in the game, to get into his kingdom, to not just be a sideline watcher, to not just be one of the 80%, or in the case of our church, one of the 60% that's just here and just hanging out and, and you know, living off everyone else. What God's calling us to do is to get in the game, to put our energy and our efforts and our talents. And every single one of you in here this morning have talents, whether you think you don't or not. I guarantee you the guy who owned all the goats in that story in Exodus didn't think he had a talent to give. I'm just, just, all I have is goats. But because he had the goats and was willing to give them, they were able to make the fabric and to spin the thread. And then it took the lady who didn't think she had a lot to offer but was willing to spin the thread. And then here came the real skilled artisans. Behind that, okay, I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. I'm going to turn this into something magnificent. But it starts with a goat. And maybe you're just a goat this morning, and that's okay. Say, it's okay to be a goat. Because God needs goats. All I have is hair. It's okay, God will use your hair if you're a goat. The point is, get plugged into what God's doing. You have something of value to give to God. You know how you know this is true? Because he created you. And he put you here on this earth and he gave you purpose and he gave you passions and he gave you things that are seated deep within your heart that he wants to accomplish in you and through you. But you can't accomplish something if you're not willing to get in the game. We have to get in the game. We have to be like William Borden this morning and be willing to give all that we have to him. Again, not empty your bank account. Be willing to get behind the heart of what God wants to do. What if we all gave? Imagine what God could do in us and through us and among us if we all give. Stand with me through this morning. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your for your word. And God, we thank you, Lord, that even though there's so much pressure in the way life moves at us and the way things come at us constantly and all the time and there's just so much that's tugging at us for our energy and for our efforts and our resources and all that we have, there's just a constant tug of war in our life between activities and families and schools and work and hobbies and everything just in life pulling at us 
constantly all the time. God, we pray, Lord, that we would become a people that would be trust, that we would put our trust in you. We would trust wholly in what you're doing, that we would invest ourselves in your kingdom for your purposes, for your glory. God, that we would be willing to get in the game. God, we don't want to be just another church that's full of a statistic of of 80s and 20s or 30s and 60s. God, we want to be an all-in church. God, I pray that you stir the hearts of each and every one of us. God, that we would see an abundance of volunteers, that we would have to create new ministries and new opportunities because we had nowhere to put people anymore. God, I pray there would be such an overwhelming abundance of resources that we would have to spend time figuring out what to do with it. Imagine what we'd be able to do if we were willing to put our faith and our hope and our trust with everything that we have in you. We know that our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. But in order for us to do that, in order for him to do that, it requires us to get into the game. This morning, as we sing this song one more time, I ask that you search your heart, that you search your, your soul, that you know. You take account of where you are today and be willing to get in the game.